Our scripture reading today is from 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, and 2 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 10 through 12, and 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now when Alathia, the son of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal house of Judah. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from, from among the king's son who were about to be put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Je Jehoram, Je Jehoram, Jehoram, and wife of Jehoiada the priest, because she was a sister of Ahaziah, hid, from, hid him from Elathia, so that he did not put, so that she did not put him to d death. And he remained with them six years, hidden in the in the house of God, while Alathia reigned over the land. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba, of Beersheba. And Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the all the days of Jehoiada the priest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, be to God. Thanks, Dustin. Good job. All right, good job, buddy. Those were some tough names in there. And it doesn't help that it feels like they all begin with the letter J. It's so confusing. Good work, son. Good work. And you had to compete with the cicadas. They're so loud in the first service. They're so loud. All right. So we continue in our summer sermon series entitled Ordinary People, Gospel Power, uh, as a reminder to us all summer long that we are a family of ordinary people. And so often, perhaps, the expression of Christianity that you have been raised in or your own religious experience has conditioned you to think that you have to prove how great of a Christian you are, that um, so much depends upon you and rises and falls on you, and we need the reminder that power rests with our God, and we are his ordinary kids. He gives us that power through the Spirit, but there is no pressure on your shoulders to be something other than what God created you to be, one of his ordinary kids. Uh, Ava is going to come now and recite for us kids. All summer long we're learning 2 Corinthians 4-7, which is our theme verse. And remember, uh, this is our theme verse all summer, and then we've gone to the Old Testament each week to find people who embody the principle from 2 Corinthians 4-7, and joined with your brother too. So uh, they're going to recite for us. And I should say Ava is our guest illustrator for the week. Uh, we're not going to show you her illustration yet, but she, I'm getting a lot of feedback up here, huh? She drew our picture uh, for the sermon, and you did a really, really, really good job. And kids, if you're visiting, 
Uh, all the way in the back, by the back window, there's a TV above the wooden wall. You will find our sermon note sheets there. And there should be some colored pencils and crayons for the Marine Corps families in the room. So whatever you need to do, it's all, it's all back there. All right, you guys, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. There you go, you can come close together. Go ahead. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. There it is, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Good work. Good job. Good job. And kids, when we're all done, one of my favorite, favorite things all summer long has been when the service is done, I can't even make it away from the first few rows because you, uh, you swarm down and you show me your sermon note sheet from the day. So I have a growing stack from the summer. And I have been so encouraged, kids, by the notes that you're taking. One of these Sundays, we can't do it today, but one of these Sundays what we're going to do is we'll have the sermon and our songs, and then we're going to give you kids like an open mic. And what we'll do is we'll have you come by the back. We'll take a picture of your notes. We'll get them up on the screen and we'll give you the microphone and you can share with us what you heard, what you learned, why you drew, what you drew. We're not doing it today, but sometime this summer uh, we will. So don't forget to put your name and then your blue seal flavor. Remember, Miss Alicia is going to start building our list this week. And there was a little confusion. I had a family um, under the impression that it will only there'd only be one winner. Like it'd be a competition, then we'd have a drawing of, of names for you kids who recited 2 Corinthians 4-7. Uh, but that's not how we're working this. For all of you kids who participate and recite, uh, you and I, but not your parents, will celebrate together with <laughs> Blue Seal ice cream later this summer, okay? Much later, probably uh, mid-August, right before you go back to school, which is what you're all looking forward to, right? Yes, I got a yes from a dad. Mm. All right, you don't want to go back to school. Here's our big idea for the morning, guys, coming from our, our passage in Chronicles. Ordinary people hide others in God's house for their good. Ordinary people hide others in God's house for their good. We've got to be reminded again about ordinary people because, listen, I, I want to say this. Like, you come last week. What was our story last week? David. And what did he do? Killed Goliath. That was a really public event, like a big, big, big deal. And sometimes if we're only familiar with stories like David's, which is an important story, again, we come to think that unless we're doing something as big and as public regularly, we're not a good Christian or we're not a strong Christian or we're letting God down or we're letting other people down. But the story we're going to see today is not big and public, it's private and unseen. See, we've come to believe that only the seen moments matter. In fact, David killing Goliath, uh, the songwriters, like they would go on to write songs about David. And so we think, unless we can't write a song about our lives or the big things that we do, they're not worthy, they're not worthwhile. But what we're going to see, guys, this morning is this story reminds us, listen, there are actually more private and unseen moments in the Bible than there are seen big moments. And it's more, more of life is lived in the unseen moments. More of life. And I would even suggest to you that it's the unseen 
and the unsung moments that matter more than the seen moments and the sung moments. And that's what we're going to see in our story this morning. So ordinary people hide others in God's house for their good. We'll have uh, three points as we work through the story. Here's the first one, but I have blanks for you. You're going to have to figure them out and fill in the blanks. Blank hid blank. Okay, there's number one, first piece of the story. Somebody hid somebody. Maybe you already picked up on it when Weston read for us. Though it was kind of alphabet soup with all those J names. So we're going to have to figure it out together. Okay, someone hid someone in God's house. And then what we're going to see in the story and through the uh, storyline of the Bible is that God hides us. In the same way that the ordinary person, the hero of our story today, hid somebody who needed rescue, God hides us. And then what we're going to see before we're done is that as God's family, we participate in that work and we hide others in God's house for their good. Okay? Somebody hid somebody, God hides us, we hide others. Now, we've got to wrap our name around, we've got to wrap our minds around all of those names, right? Because the story today unfolds in history and in that short passage that Weston read for us, there were so many names and if all we try to do is start telling the story from that passage, even though we'll be overwhelmed by those names, we're going to miss out on so much family history. So what I want to do is I'm just going to walk us briefly through four generations. We'll start with great-grandpa, right? Because our story featured a baby future king who had to be rescued. What was his name? Joash. All right, so we already have that important piece. Let's start with his great-granddaddy's generation. So you know from the Bible that God's family split into two kingdoms. We had the northern kingdom, or Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. Now you know that the Davidic line matters a lot. God promised that would be a forever line of kings, and he promised that the future rescuing king would come from David's line. In other words, the king of God's family always had to come from David's line, or they would be an illegitimate king, right? So the north was illegitimate, right, Israel, and the south, Judah, uh, southern kingdom. All right, so here is great-granddaddy's generation. In the north, we had Ahab and Jezebel, right? Jezebel may be more infamous than Ahab. Right? You may not be familiar with the Bible at all. You may never have, maybe today's your first day stepping foot in a church, and I'm really glad you're here, but I guarantee you've heard the name Jezebel before, and I guarantee None of you have a sister or an aunt or a grandmother named Jezebel. Am I right? Thank you. No Jezebels represented in the room. There's a reason for that. But we're not going to get into all her junk. Suffice it to say, Ahab and Jezebel were an evil king and queen. Let me just read this about Ahab while you're looking at the names. It says this. In 1 Kings 16, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who came before him. So if we had to summarize their reign in a word, we'll use chaos. It was evil, it was broken, and in all that evilness and brokenness and rebellion from God, it was just chaos in their kingdom. Now, down south in, in Judah, Jehoshaphat was kind of their contemporary. Great name. Um, add that to your baby list, your, your names for your babies. Jehoshaphat was very, very different from Ahab and Jezebel. In fact, in 2 Chronicles, we learn this. 
It says, so the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave him rest all around. Now we could just stop and have our own little mini sermon right there. You submit to God and obey him and walk according to his words. Even if the world is chaotic around you, your soul will be at rest and you will have peace. That's what we see in Jehoshaphat. So chaos in the north, quiet and calm and peace in the south. Okay, next generation. Now we're to the grandparents' generation before Joash. Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, from them, we see Joram and Athaliah. Okay, brother and sister, Joram and Athaliah, Jehoshaphat. And they were just like their parents, just evil and broken and rebelling from God. Jehoshaphat, from Jehoshaphat, we see uh, Jehoram, very similar to Joram in name. In fact, it can be spelled either way, but his son, Jehoram. Now, the sad thing about Jehoshaphat is late in life, he inexplicably broke bad. I mean, he was an old man and he faithfully followed God and his kingdom was life-giving and quiet and peaceful. And he broke bad, and he formed an alliance with Ahab's line. They built some ships together. They were going to boost the economy. God didn't allow their plan to happen. But what happened in the alliance is Athaliah made her journey to the south, and she married into the family. And where there was quiet because of the godliness and submission to God and his way, Athaliah introduced this chaos and brokenness. In fact... Jehoram, when he took the crown, do you know what Jehoram did, guys? You think you and your brothers and sisters have problems? When, his, when the crown was handed to him, he killed all six of his brothers. Just killed them all and their families and did many other evil things. And so the prophet Elijah comes and speaks with him and says a lot of, bad, says a lot of things that are going to happen to him. Years later... The Philistines, we remember them from last week, they invaded. And you know what they did to Jehoram? You know what he had to watch? Just as he had killed all of his brothers, they killed all of his sons. Killed all of his sons. You know what the Bible says about Jehoram when his reign was done? It says this. And he departed, or died, he departed with, you ready for this? No one's regret. They buried him in the city of David, which is where you buried kings. But listen, but not in the tombs of the kings. I hated this guy. He was a really bad, really bad king. So that's Jehoram and Athaliah. So we see some babies next generation. Now this is Joash's daddy's generation. Oh, we can drop down on those names. Uh, Jehoram and Athaliah together had Ahaziah, the next king. And Ahaziah had a sister by the name of Jehoshaba. Her daddy was Jehoram. Her mommy was not Athaliah. Okay? But Ahaziah and Jehoshaba, brothers and sisters, Jehoshaba went on to marry. Uh, Weston, the version you read, uh, it, sounds like, um, it sounds like we got some Shakespeare going on. It says Jehoshabeth, right? Same person. Okay? Jehoshaba, Jehoshabeth. She married the priest named Jehoiada. So that's important. That comes into play in just a moment. So I know, right? It gets so confusing. It's so, that's why we're walking through it this way. We got to see it and just feel it for a minute. Now, Jehoram dies. Jehoram dies. 
And Athaliah, right, the queen, she and her counselors convince her son, Ahaziah, to go to the north and partner with his uncle, Joram, who's fighting a battle and needs help, okay? So Ahaziah partners with his uncle, Joram, the war. And as they go to war, there's this guy named Jehu, okay? There's this guy named Jehu. Now, Jehu was an army officer for Israel. He fought for the northern kingdom. But God chose him to execute justice in the northern kingdom. And this is going to sound pretty savage. But Jehu's job was to kill off every member of the royal family that had broken bad and had rebelled against God and had injured image bearers of God. So Ahaziah goes north. Joram gets injured in the battle, so he goes to recuperate, Ahaziah goes to visit him, and Jehu shows up. And they have this little discussion, and, and Joram's like, hey, Jehu, do you come in peace? And Jehu said, there can be no peace while you're alive. So Joram gets in his chariot, and he tries to speed away. Jehu chases him, and Jehu was a master bow and arrow dude. What's Archerer, master archerer, bow and arrow dude. <laughs> and he shoots Joram he's riding away, this is what the Bible says, the arrow went between his shoulder blades and his heart, and he dies. Ahaziah finds out, and he tries to run away. So what's Jehu, the archer dude, do? He also chases Ahaziah down and shoots him in the heart with an arrow, assassinates them both. So they're dead. Who does that leave down south? that leave down south? Bad news. Athaliah, all by herself. This is her opportunity to steal power with a crown that didn't belong to her. So you know what Athaliah did? She killed every member of her own family. All right? She had married Jehoram. Um, Jehoram had other wives and other kids. She took a sword and found every member of the family who could have a stake to the throne and killed him. So that Joash was the only surviving member of the royal family. And Athaliah became queen for six years. In the mayhem, as Athaliah is running around killing people, killing babies, Jehoshaphat, who is Joash's aunt, right? She does what you would expect an aunt to do. She runs into the mayhem, and she scoops Joash up. He's one year old at the time. And she takes him into a hideaway bedroom in the walls of the temple compound. That's why we read it's in God's house, right? She takes him into God's house, takes his nurse or babysitter, his nanny with him. And she and Jehoiada, the priest, her husband, hide Joash for six years in this Secret hideaway room in the temple walls. To remember the story, you can write three C's next to Jehoiada's name. I promise these are the final details, okay? It's a lot, right? But it's going to help us make sense of the whole story. Three C's next to Jehoiada's name. When Joash is seven years old, Jehoiada takes him by the hand and walks him out into the public square. And he incites a coup. He overthrows Athaliah, he overthrows, okay? So there's your first C. He incites a coup, 
and then he takes the crown, there's your second C, and he places it on Joash's head, seven-year-old boy. He's like, there's your king. There's your king. And the third C is he renews the covenant with God. Like, hey, God, we are your people. You are our God. We repent of all that injustice and brokenness, and we turn back to you. Okay, so coup, crown, covenant, right? Jehoiada. And you heard Weston say it, as long as Jehoiada the priest was alive, Joash was what? A good king. It's tragic, kind of like his great-great-grandfather, he breaks bad once Jehoiada's dead. And I just want to show you how tragically the story ends. It says this in 2 Chronicles 24-22, Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. The boy who became king at seven, who was otherwise a pretty decent king, when the priest who mentored him and made him king died, and that priest's son confronted him, the king killed him in public, just beat him down. And though the story there has a sad ending, here's what I want you to see. Uh, who do you think our ordinary person is for the day? Can we put the screen, the, well, you'd have to click through all those names again, huh? Okay, don't worry about it. Oh, there she is. There's our ordinary person. <laughs> Jehoshaphat, right? There she is. She's our hero for the story. She's an ordinary person. We see gospel power at work. She hides Joash for six years he becomes king. Guys, because Jehoshaphat did an unseen, private thing that nobody ever wrote a single song about, never made it to social media, nobody was aware it was going on, it was personal, it was private, it was hidden, it was secret. You know what happened? That single act led to four generations of progressively better kings after Joash. Son was a little better. Grandson was a little better. Great-grandson was a really good king. You know how many total years of good kings that added up to be? 100 years of increasingly better kings, not perfect, but increasing justice, increasing beauty, increasing life, you know who the hero of the story? In all of those super powerful people, right, with armies to command and swords to sling and crowns and thrones to grab, the average ordinary person in the whole thing at the center of the chaos, Jehoshaphat, and her actions, unseen, unsung, led to 100 years of flourishing for God's people. And that is absolutely beautiful. Now, why did, let's ask this question, why did Jehoshaphat have to hide Joash? I think we could say it this way. Jehoshaphat had to hide Joash because God's people had an enemy. So if Jehoshaphat is the hero in the story, who do you think the villain is in that, in that whole four-generation mess? Who is it? Hmm? It's hard to say her name, isn't it? I understand that what you're all trying to say is Athaliah, right? Okay, so she's our villain. Jehoshaphat's our hero, our protagonist. 
Um, Athaliah is our, our villain. God's people had an enemy. You know what's interesting about Athaliah? Her six-year reign is summarized in half a sentence in the Bible. Her reign is not introduced the way that a king or queen would normally be introduced. And the end of her reign is not kind of written about the way that a legitimate king or queen would have been written about. So her entire reign gets half a sentence. You know how long the chapter is that details her judgment and her death? Uh, It's an entire chapter and a half that talks about her judgment and her death. Did I leave that out of the recap of the story too? Okay, I did. When Jehoiada led the coup... Uh, they publicly executed Athaliah, right? So that was part, that was supposed to be one of the C's. Maybe there are four C's, I don't know. (laughs) Guys, God's people had an enemy. And so an ordinary person had to hide a helpless kid in God's house for his good. When we look at Athaliah, the enemy of God's people, we could summarize her this way. She stole, she killed, and she destroyed. She stole power that did not belong to her, She killed people, God's people, and she destroyed, she tried to destroy God's promises and the culture of God's people and God's family. She was stealing power, killing people, and destroying promises. That's what God's enemy was trying to do to God's people. And so in comes Jehoshaphat, our hero. Now picture her. Imagine the bravery and the courage. Swords were being slung. People were being recklessly and aggressively destroyed, and she runs into this bloody courtyard, and she scoops up a one-year-old baby. Now, if you were her, and you go to pick up that kid, what do you know can happen to you because of what you're doing to rescue the child who could be an heir to the throne? What happens to you if you're caught? What happens? You get a sword. You die. And just as an aside, guys, man, when God's people understand who they are and they know they are loved by God and they love God and they know they are created for his fame and the good of other people, God's family is willing to put their own lives at incredible risk for the good and the flourishing of other people. So she runs out, she scoops him up, takes the babysitter, puts him in his own bedroom for six years until she and her husband Jehoiada are ready for the coup, the crown, and the covenant, right? Before that happens. So why did Jehoshaphat need to do what she did? Because God's people have an enemy. Now let me show you what this ordinary person, the, the outcome of what this ordinary person did. It's on the screen for you. Here's 2 Chronicles 17, 14. And wh- here's where the gospel power piece comes in. Second, or, yeah, no, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry. 2 Chronicles 17, 14 says, that's not it. Good thing I got my Bible right here. I might have given you the wrong reference, guys. Let's hope I wrote it down for myself right. 1 Chronicles, going to be 1 Chronicles. There it is. First Chronicles 17, 14 says this. I will confirm him, David, in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne will be established forever. That was God's covenant with his people, that David's line would be a forever line, and that ultimately the rescuing king would come from David, from David's line. 
Did you know that when Athaliah started swinging her sword, right, Ahaziah had died. He was the sole remaining member of the royal line that they knew about at that time. In other words, God's promises had come down to one person. And if he died, the promise dies with him. So when the enemy of God's people killed God's king, she thought God's promise for his people died with him. But she didn't know that Joash had been hidden away. And she didn't know that God's promise had not died in the grave, but that his promise would be resurrected six years later for the flourishing of his people. Guys, here's how beautiful life is. We are ordinary people. God has the power, yet he chooses to work through ordinary people like you and me to bring about the fulfillment of his promises. Just let that sink in. And don't let yourself ever believe that the unseen, unsung moments don't matter. Guys, this was not David killing Goliath in a public space. This was a young, ignored, neglected woman in an unseen moment saving the life of a baby. And through the actions, the brave actions of an ordinary person that would never be sung about, never be posted on social media, God's promise to his people endured. And your unseen moments don't matter. What? Our unsung moments don't matter. Don't ripple down four generations into a hundred years later. All right. Ordinary people hide others in God's house for their good because God's people have an enemy who steals, kills, and destroys. The other reason why what Jehoshaphat did is beautiful is because it is a shadow of what God does for us. And here's our second point. God hides us. Let me show you this. Here's Psalm 27.3. Psalm 27.3, or 5, I'm sorry, says this. He will hide me in his shelter. That's God. God hides me, his kid, in his shelter, another name for a house. When does he hide me? In the day of trouble, which is every day for me. I don't know about you. Okay, so this is a daily thing. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. Guys, you remember being a kid? Of course you do. Some of you don't. Most of you do. But kids, you're safe as long as you're hidden under the covers, right? There's a certain, you feel a certain kind of way when your head is under the covers, right? Or when you, bu you build tents in the living rooms, right? Out of the cushions on the couch and sheets. And inside that tent, you're safe. We're safe. Guys, the reason Jehoshaphat's story is so beautiful is because it is a shadow of or points us to what God the Father does for us every single day. Now, let me ask you this. Joash was how old when he was rescued? So, does a one-year-old realize they're being rescued? Is a one-year-old aware of all of the threats that they see or that are around them every single day? No idea. Clueless. Guys, I think we need to take a cue from Joash here and realize that we are just like him in that regard. God the Father rescues you and puts you in his home and keeps you safe, and we are oblivious to most of the threats that swirl around us. And in the oblivious, naive place that we get, we are unthankful for what God has done to protect us. And we view his protection as a threat or limiting or insufficient. It's not enough. But we're just like Joash. We have no idea what God is actually saving us 
from. Guys, God hides his kids in his house because God's people have an enemy that would steal, kill, and destroy. It made me think of this passage in Colossians 3. Here it is on the screen for you. Uh, we sung these lyrics as we were beginning. What's it say? For you have died and your life what? Hidden with Christ in God. Now, I want to show you something very important. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Verse 4 speaks to kind of the question, well, I wonder how, how, well, for how long will God hide me? For how long will God protect me? For how long will God keep me safe? Our answer is in verse 4. When Christ returns, Christ who is our life, then you will appear with him in glory, meaning you will have crossed the finish line God will have protected you and brought you all the way home. Maybe when Joash, I don't know if he ever got old enough to doubt Jehoiada and uh, Jehoshaphat's ability to hide him, but we doubt God's ability to hide us all the time. And we need to rehearse this beautiful reality that God is committed to hide us in the sense that he is protecting us and restoring us and bringing us all the way home. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So let me ask you this question. Based on what we've learned so far in the story, why do you need to be hidden in God's house or why do you need to be hidden in Christ? Yes, ma'am. There you go. That's, that is a correct answer. Good job. Why do we need to be hidden? Because God's people have an enemy who steals, kills, and destroys. See, that wasn't unique to Athaliah. Athaliah actually foreshadowed the arch enemy of God's people. What do we learn about the arch enemy of God's people in John 10.10? Right here. The thief comes only what? To steal, kill, and destroy. Guys, in the same way that Jehoshaphat foreshadows the good that God does for us as his kids to hide us. Athaliah foreshadows the arch enemy, Satan, of God's people who steals, kills, and destroys. What would have happened to Joash if he was left in his little crib or in the courtyard or wherever his play space was and Jehoshaphat would not have shown up? What would have happened to him? Okay, what would happen to you if God the Father did not hide you in Christ? What would happen to you? You would, oh, sorry, oh, I was about to get a really good answer. Was that you, Weston? No. Oh. Lorelai, what would happen to you? Hmm. Our souls would be destroyed, right? In the same way that Athaliah was seeking to kill, steal, kill, and destroy, God's enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy his kids. In the same way that Joash was helpless, we're helpless. In the same way that he needed rescue, we need rescue. And you know what's beautiful about that? You know what Jehoshaphat did for Joash? She brings him into this hideaway space. She gives him a place, a people, and restores him in time to his created purpose, right? His family had been ripped away from him, killed by the sword. And what is, what's the gift that Jehoshaphat gives to him? A new family, a new mom and dad 
a new aunt. I'm sure there were other little people. He had a new family hidden in God's house. Not just a new, a new, um, a new people, right? A new place, a home, safety, protection. And not just that, but in six years' time, Joash would be restored to his created purpose, the rightful king of God's people. So guys, like Joash, when the father rescues us and hides us, if you will, in his house, you know what he does for us? New people, new place, and restored to our created purpose. God's family becomes your family. God's home, his presence for you becomes a place of safety. And in time, over time, God slowly and purposefully restores you to your created purpose. The story so beautifully points to the gospel, okay? So ordinary people hide others in God's house for their good. And why do we need to be hidden in God's house for our good? Because we have an enemy who would steal, kill, and destroy. Some of you may be sitting here wondering, well, that's great, John, but how, like, this whole hidden in Christ thing, how do I, uh, how, how do I get there? I, I, I need to be hidden in Christ. How does that happen? Well, the Bible says, by faith, you acknowledge your rebellion, uh, your running from God. You turn from that rebellion and you turn back to Jesus as your rescuing king. And God the Father says, by faith, you are united with Christ so that the judgment you deserve is taken from you and placed on Jesus. And the innocence that Jesus has is taken from him given to you, hidden with Christ in God. It's this really beautiful line from kind of the, the, the story of Athaliah's demise. This is in 2 Kings. I just want to show this to you. It says this, all the people of the land rejoiced and the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with the sword at the king's house. Guys, there will not be true joy in your soul until Jesus, the true and better king, has defeated the enemy of your soul on your behalf. You cannot defeat him and you cannot obtain that joy. Jesus does. There will not be a still quiet, a peace in your soul until Jesus has put to death on your behalf the enemy that would steal, kill, and destroy. Peace and quiet. Guys, this entire story points us to Jesus and reminds us that he is the true and better king. He's the true and better prophet and he's the true and better priest. This storyline is full of tragically flawed and imperfect kings. Even the best kings are only a shadow of the the good king that Jesus would show himself to be. Even the best priest in the story, Jehoiada, who was a really good guy, was not sufficient enough to fix all the brokenness, but in all the good that he was, he pointed to Jesus, who's the true and better priest and the true and better prophet. Can I just show you one way that Jesus was better? Uh, it's on the screen for you. Look at this. This is, this is the moment that, remember, Jehoiada died. Um, Joash breaks bad. 
and Jehoiada's son, Zechariah, I believe, comes to confront King Joash. He's like, yo, you're, rebel you're just like all the other kings who rebelled against God. Your people are suffering because of your rebellion. Come back to God. And Joash demands that he be killed on the spot. Verse 20 says, Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, and he stood above the people and he said to them, Thus says God, Why do you break the commands of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. And then they threw rocks at him. They killed him by stoning him. And as the rocks were hitting him and killing him, Zechariah speaks a curse over God's people. Say that on this day, you are cursed for these actions. So he's doing that as a prophetic priest. You know how Jesus is the true and better prophet and priest? Leave that up for, there for a moment. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, what did he say about forsakenness? What did he say? Father, why are you forsaking them? No. We were already the forsaken ones. And Jesus from the cross says, now, Father, you're forsaking me so that they can be forgiven. The perfect prophet, priest, and king hangs on the cross in our place, taking the forsakenness of the Father so that we can receive forgiveness instead of being the forsaken ones. And as... Zechariah lies dying. He speaks a curse over God's people. As Jesus hangs dying, taking the curse in our place, what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Guys, as beautiful as Jeho uh, Jehoshaphat's story is and the work of Jehoiada, it just points to the even better beauty of Jesus, the true and better king, being forsaken in our place so we can be forgiven, being cursed in our place so we can be accepted in as sons and daughters and protected in God's family. All right, here's Ava's drawing. She illustrated the sermon for us this week. Fantastic drawing, Ava. Downside, we got the, I guess it's a big overstuffed pink chair for the evil spoiled queen, Athaliah. Um, Kind of dark and broken. We, we, Emma and I went to Starbucks and we talked about all this kind of surrounded by darkness and brokenness, right? Kind of some littered, dying people around Queen Athaliah, right? You really captured that very well. But then up, la up in, the, in the top corner, we have our hero, our ordinary pers person of the day, right? Jehoshaphat. And she had, look at little Joe Ash taking shelter behind her. Like he's safe now because of her good work. And then we see, right, uh, Ava drew an arrow for us to show us that the good work that Jehoshaphat did to hide a child who needed rescue in God's house for his good and for his flourishing in the same way God the Father hides us in Jesus for our good and for our flourishing in the good others. Ava, fantastic illustration this week. Very good. Okay, guys, I need to be done, but before I'm done, I just, my, 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 I want to I finish here. Jehoshaphat hid Joash. God hides us. We hide others. What do I mean? Here's what I mean. Here's, um, here's Ephesians 2, 19. So then, 
you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are what? Fellow citizens and with the saints. And what are we? Members of the household of God. So when we're talking about people being hidden in the house of God, we're not talking about this space in here. We're talking about how God hides people in Jesus first, but how the body of Christ, the family, is a living, breathing family. The people, right? And so we participate in the hiding work. You know what made me think of that this week? It's going to blow your mind, but the simple things in life. Minecraft. Minecraft made me think of this. Any Minecraft people in the room? Oh, come on, guys. I shouldn't be the only adult raising my hand, because I know. Thank you. We tell the truth around here. Remember, we tell the truth around here. So I was playing. Uh, this is in one of many profiles that we have in our family. It's a little neighborhood where the, the one tall tower, that's my house. Me and uh, Johnny, is that ours? No, Owen. We built that together. Yeah, OK. Johnny's just to the right. His, his is the other brown house. And then Emma built in the lowlands. Pretty cool flat, right, down on the water. So in Minecraft, you have the survivor mode, right? Survival mode. You guys try, am, am I right? What happens in the survival mode? Yeah, you got to build a house. Why do you need a house in survival mode? The monsters and what else? What's the other? Yeah. Well, you have pillagers and villagers, right? And the... Right, thank you. Pillagers kill villagers, right? So how are Minecraft characters kept safe? You have to find protection in the house. Okay, guys, now Minecraft aside, and you can think whatever you want to think about me. <laughs> you build houses one brick, one block at a time. And when you build, other people find safety in that house. Guys, you know how we build homes in this family box? We lay down. We have the word of God. We rehearse the gospel to each other. We speak the truth in love to each other. You know, other blocks we lay down unseen and unseen. Pray for each other like we actually believe it does something. And we're speaking to our dad on behalf of other people. You know what else we do? We remind each other of our father's promises. And just like his promises couldn't fail there, even though they'd come down to one person, they don't fail now. And even though God's promise didn't die in the grave, then God's promise doesn't die in the grave now. We rehearse these things with each other. Love, joy, and peace. We, we spend time together. Guys, church is not an event. It's a family. And we hide each other in God's house by the way in which we live together. That's why around here we care a lot about what we call missional communities or fight clubs. We're not just creating like programming to make your lives full. We're just, acknowledge, we're just recognizing the reality that God has adopted us into a family and the way families help hide each other in their father's house is through time spent together. You can't hide somebody if you're not able to reach and hold their hand. You can't hide somebody if you don't know what's on their heart. You can't help hide somebody if you don't know what's going through their head. Time together shared in the everyday messy stuff of life. Call it what you want. We spend time together as a family. Church is not an event. I'll be done. I want to say this. Hidden people don't have to hide. Right? When you hear the word hide, I don't want you to hear cautious or fear or pulling away from culture. When you know you're hidden with Christ, in, in Christ with God, right? You have a courage. That's one of the first questions and answers we ask as Christians. What is our only hope? 
that we belong body and soul, in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. You have nothing to fear in life. Like Jehoshaphat, if you are already hidden, now you are one who can press out into the square where the sword is being slung and people are suffering and they need rescue and restoration. They need a family, they need a safe place, and they need to be restored to their created purposes in God. The hidden ones become the hiding ones, and hidden ones don't have to hide. I really want to keep preaching because I want to tell you some stories about people that God has used to hide me in his house. But guys, I'm going to stop and just stop by saying I just want to commend you. I kind of want to change the name of our church, honestly. I've been really inspired by Jehoshaphat's story this week, and we could just call it St. Jehoshaphat Church. Or, but let's come up with some ideas. Okay, Pillar, we've done that for like seven years now. It's time for a change. I nominate Jehoshaphat. Because, um, guys, we're just encountering another character where I feel, I feel like if Jesus were here with us right now and we were to like, man, who do you want us to copycat, Jesus? What do you want us to be like? I feel like Jehoshaphat is another person in that line that Jesus would point to and, and just say to us, her, she captures the spirit that I want present in my people. So just come up with some ideas. Okay, Jehoshaphat Church, we'll have to work on it, but I think it's got potential. <laughs> Guys, by faith you are hidden in Christ. And as a hidden person, we leave the safety of this space and we press into the brokenness for the good and the flourishing of other people. And the unseen, unsung things that you do will ripple down into generations for 100 years for the good of people pointing them to Jesus. All right, let's be done. Father, uh, a lot here in this story. Thank you for the ways in which it points us to you, uh, Jesus, our true and better king. Jesus, I just want to pray if there is anybody in here this morning who is not already hidden in Christ, that they would see for the first time that they do have an enemy. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but you have come so that we can have life and have it more abundantly. And I pray this morning that you would give the gift of faith and that this morning, those who are in danger, those without a home, those without a people, those without a purpose, those without a place, would find in you, Jesus, the place, their people, and the restoration to their created purpose for their good, for your fame, and for the flourishing of other people. We pray this all in the name of Christ.